Would you turn to Psalm 133? Pastor Ron and I have been sharing with you messages on prayer. On Sundays, on Wednesdays, we've been implementing those practices. And I want to uh, end this mini-series with one last declaration about prayer about worship, about fellowship in the Holy Spirit, what it accomplishes. And I pray that you are are so accustomed with being in the presence of the Lord that you can discern and tell when you're in His midst, when you can feel His presence. It's, It's a discipline that we want to know, and His sheep know His voice. And You should be aware of when God moves and how He moves and to be in the presence of that. And we want to fully function in that. Psalm 133, I want to speak to you. Our our short series on prayer was on the unity and diversity of prayer. And we shared that with you the last couple weeks. And what I want to show you is just an overview of what prayer does for the unity of the body and the unity between heaven and earth. God wants to bring a unity from His throne to His church a fellowship between heaven and earth, the people of God and His Holy Spirit. And that's what prayer does. And so I can't think of a better verse or portion of Scripture that gives us that illustration. And it's Psalm 133. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers or brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessings, life forevermore. So this describes for us the unity of the brethren or the fellowship, the people of God. And it is like, and he likens this blessing threefold. But this is a unity that goes beyond just people getting together. We're not a bowling league here. We're, we're, we're not the, the VFW hall. We're not a sports team where we rally around something. There's unity in that, but that's got to be more. He's talking about much more than that. Camaraderie. You can rally around anything that you have a like mind for. He's not talking about that kind of unity. But what David is speaking of is a unity, of course, among a people, but a unity between those people and heaven, God. It's Jesus' prayer in John 17. Father, make them one as we are one. Behold how good and pleasant. Good. How many of you like good things? I mean pure good. Real good. It doesn't sour after a half hour or 30 days of expiring. It's just good. It's always good. There's no shadow of turning. There's no something around the corner coming that isn't good. God is good. And then pleasant. The word for pleasant in this is good time. This thing is great. I love this. It's joyful. It's happy. So the fellowship with heaven and earth is like... All is right with the world because God is on His throne, pleasant kind of a thing. You ever have a day like that? Right? That's a day. We're talking about something eternal. A life. What He's talking about is good and pleasant. This unity is only from heaven unto the people of God. 
There's a unity between us and heaven. How many of you feel good when you're right with God? All is right. It's a cleansing. There's a rightness here. You feel the joy of God, the pleasantness of God, the goodness of God. Here's where the unity comes in, and this is what he's talking about. A unity that is right between God and man, and it is in the fellowship of the brethren. And we benefit from this. It's supernatural. It is a koinonia of spirit to spirit, our spirit to each other and our spirit to God. And basically, this one, Psalm 133 is a forecast of the day of Pentecost. When heaven touched earth, invaded earth, and invaded the human body. Heaven came into man, which made us good and it's so pleasant. I don't know how you get good out of any of us. You put God in us and he can make it happen. That's crazy. God is making it good in us. And so on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God was pouring out and there was a unity in that 120 in the upper room like never before. Can you imagine sitting in that upper room looking at each of these people? You're looking across the room. There's Mary, mother of Jesus. There's his brothers. Yeah, they didn't believe in him while he was alive. Now they do. Sure, you saw him. Now you believe him. Wouldn't believe him before. There's Peter. You denied him three times. What are you doing here? And who made you boss? Oh, Jesus did. What'd you pick him for? Huh? Thomas, doubting Thomas, sitting in that room, but he believed. There's a dynamic of different personalities, but there was a fellowship and a unity that came into that room like never before on planet Earth. A unity that cannot be likened to anything else but heaven invading our souls. And that is the pattern for the church. That is the pattern for our prayer life. That is the pattern for the assembly together. In Acts 2.42, he put it this way. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And so there's this dynamic going on here of unity that is over the Word of God, the prophetic significance of who Christ is, and how the doctrine of the apostles is teaching us a revealed Christ in us, the hope of glory, to the koinonia of brothers and sisters now where we're sharing and breaking bread together and we are praying the will of heaven into the earth because it now dwells in us. If you're wondering where heaven is, it's sitting right next to you in the believer that's sitting next to you. And so this is, some, this is the unity that we're talking about. It's Far more than a pleasant afternoon together. Far more than that. And it comes through prayer and fellowship in the Spirit. It can't be touched other than that in all reality. And So this is what's going on. Now, for those of you, I want to share with you the sense of prayer, what its dynamic is, and what's happening in prayer with us that creates this unity. And so I'm going to take you into the neurosciences because some of us are so scientifically minded that we're not going to believe in prayer from the Bible, but we will from science. We grow up in an age now where we have to have cause and effect, we have to see the charts, and we have to read the the concepts. There's a book out that I'm reading right now, What Your Body Knows About God, 
how we're designed to connect, serve, and thrive. And in this book, it's a study of neurosciences, that as they've studied the brain, the brain waves and the activity of the brain, they've been studying folks who are in prayer and people who know how to pray and meditate. And in the observations they're seeing, the brain come alive. They're seeing things happening in the brain that are just firing blessing and goodness. It's visible and it's evident. Now, we've known that all along for 2,000 years. Science is now saying it, it really happens. Rob Mall wrote this book, and he says this. He says, 12 minutes of attentive, focused prayer every day for eight weeks changes the brain significantly enough to be measured by a brain scan. If you will pray 12 minutes a day for eight weeks, your brain will literally be what? Transformed. Do you remember what Paul said? The renewing of the mind, be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. If you will pray, if you will be in the Spirit, if you will seek God, if you will worship, you will do this. Just 12 minutes a day, literally your brain will change. The neuroplasticity of your brain begins to change and morph for the better. Dynamically, it will change your attitude, it will change your outlook, it will change your character. So much so that it becomes visibly seen when it's scanned. Prayer changes things. And the most important thing prayer changes is us. It's us. Now we go on and there's another book out written by Andrew Newberg, Mark Waldman, called How God Changes Your Brain. It says this, intense long-term contemplation of God appears to permanently change the structure of the parts of the brain that control our moods. The brain area that deals with anger becomes less active and compassion for others begins to grow. This is the effect neurologically of prayer in the brain. It transforms the people of God. So much so that anger attitudes begin to diminish and compassion increases. What they found significantly is those who are regularly prayer warriors, those people who meditate on God and pray, become more compassionate and caring for other people. Thus, the unity of the brethren. Saturate yourself in Jesus and guess what you start becoming? like jesus hello we've got a damaged brain you're all brain damaged how many of you know that but through prayer there is a reconstruction now this will show you beeps and spots and and stuff on screens but it won't show you the holy spirit and what he's doing it'll show you the impact of what he's doing on your brain but it needs to show up in the reality of how you treat others and how you walk together and there is a work of God taking place, literally conforming us to the very fruit of God's own nature. Love, joy, peace, 
gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. All of this is being downloaded and reconstructing the neurology of your brain because of prayer. Oh, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to what? Dwell together in unity. What that dwell together in unity in my book and my understanding is, is people praying and worshiping together. And it literally is transforming us. It's transforming us. The reason it doesn't happen quicker in some of us is because we're not praying enough. It's really that simple. Okay? It's a diet. Right? It, 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 is, it is consuming. It is t- spending time with God. And so the apostles said, and they set the course for the church and said, they constantly devoted themselves to these four things. The apostles' doctrine, or the word of God, sharper than a two-edged sword. Fellowship, koinonia, coming together and being a people. Let's not forsake the assembly together. I'll show you in a minute how this is actually also transforming us. And they broke bread together and they prayed. This is what makes the church the church. This is what changes us. This is God's program. It began that way. He didn't alter it and change it. You can't phone it in. You can't text it in. You got to meet people. You got to get together and assemble. And we've got to worship together and we've got to learn how to flow and fellowship together. Research has found that the neurotransmitter serotonin is released during intense spiritual experiences. So you feel good while you are in worship. You begin to experience that. Now that's a neurological release, but it's also a move of the Holy Spirit. It also builds unity. The theme this year is hospitality, koinonia, and edification, which comes through prayer. These things are nourished through prayer. Hospitality is to reach out to those who have not God. It's caring for those without. That's what hospitality is. Hospital comes from it. Caring for those who are wounded. And this is the spirit of Jesus. When you're in prayer more, what develops in you is a spirit of hospitality. You begin to have compassion and empathy towards people who don't care. They may not care for you, but you begin to care for them. Isn't that amazing? Koinonia begins to develop because all of a sudden relationships begin to manifest and and deepen through prayer and then edification is being built up. When heaven touches you, you get built up. And the, the manifestation of that in you is to begin to build others up. Now, research also has discovered what are called mirror neurons. They're in your brain, mirror neurons. And what they found is it provides a basis for empathy and compassion for others. By feeling another person's pain, we empathize with them. By experiencing their joy, we celebrate with them. And these mirror neurons mimic the tones of people's voices and facial expressions. That's actually how we begin to relate. As we're looking at people and we begin to have compassion and empathy, what we're doing is mimicking. These mimicking neurons observe others and we respond to them. Let me give you a good example. How many of you ever watched someone feed a baby? You ever do that? A little spoon you go. Oh! Uh, you ever see that? Yes, anybody looking at a baby? They mimic the baby. 
or they make a face or the baby mimics them. This is what we're doing when we speak one to another. You ever listen to someone's story and you're like, you begin to mimic, and, and in that mimicking, what they found is you begin to take on an empathy for what's going on. You smile, someone's happy, you, you laugh. How many of you ever seen a couple married over 30 years? They begin to look like each other. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Do you know why? Because when the one's sad, the other takes on the same facial sadness, exercises the same facial muscles, and, and when the one's happy, they do the same, and they begin to look like each other because they're using the same mimicking facial expressions to each other, face to face, eye to eye. Well, what, if, what will happen to us if we look into his face and continue to look upon him? Who are we going to look like? And this is the unity. This is the fellowship that is going to happen that, yeah, if we hang around with each other long enough, maybe we'll start looking like each other. But if all of our gaze is on Him, we'll all start looking like Him. Amen? And that's what's happened to the church in, in, in the West. We've, we've lost the expression of Jesus. We all look like ourselves instead of Him. But God's calling a people back. And how many of you are glad you're on that move? We're in that move. You can feel it, can't you? I mean, God is like, uh, he's just like pulling us to him. Come here. And so I'm excited about that expression of what God's doing. You know, Paul said this in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Then verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. How do I live in harmony with you? Well, if I rejoice when you rejoice and I weep when you weep, I begin to mimic and empathize with you and spiritually we become connected in koinonia and harmony begins to develop. Paul, read Romans 12. He's basically talking about Psalm 133 and he's saying what the Spirit of God is doing in us and put it with neuroscience, you'll see that Paul was right. These things are being discovered that are happening in our bodies and in our brains that have been happening for over 2,000 years. Now, one more brain activity, okay? The anterior cingulate is a backward C-shaped brain structure a few inches from the forehead. This region involves the regulating of your blood pressure, your heart rate, your emotions, your empathy, and your compassion, as well as the expectations of reward. And researchers have found that this area of the brain becomes fully engaged during prayer and worship, which releases oxytocin, which causes them to feel good about other people. When the body of Christ comes together and begins to worship, this area of your brain begins to light up. It begins to manifest. You're enjoying the presence of God. You're worshiping with God. You're worshiping with others. And what begins to happen is you begin to have a compassion and a care for one another. You begin to, if you will, break bread together. You begin to think of that person throughout the week. You begin to remember the koinonia that we had. Now, the Bible's been talking about this. Now we have the technology to watch it on a screen. 
and to see that it shows up in the brain. It's real, folks. It's real, okay? We didn't need neuroscientists to tell us this, but it also helps to prove the point. This stuff works. How many of you remember the commercial where they broke an egg and fried it in a pan and said, this is your brain on drugs, right? And so there's so many drugs that are that, that, and, and alcohol that just begin to destroy all that's happening in the brain, right? And guess what the counterpart is? Prayer fixes all of it, mends it, restores it, advances your mind and brain into the image of what God wanted it to become. That's awesome. That is amazing. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity now that's looking at the brain and now he likens it with two illustrations this unity this fellowship of being in god together he likens it to the anointing of aaron isn't it interesting where the anointing begins covers your mind the anointing comes into your cognitive reasoning it comes here of course we know the spirit dwells in us But what happens is God wants a response. Being transformed by the renewing of our mind. We've got to break out of this death and life of death into a spirit of life. We've all been brainwashed to believe this is reality when in reality, heaven is reality. A lot of realities I just used. We've got to get the big picture. He says this unity, this anointing, this fellowship uh, of, of unity is like, okay? It is like the anointing of Aaron. But let me ask you and point out, in the anointing of the high priest, where does it begin? Where does the anointing come from? God. So this unity of Psalm 133 and this fellowship of the church, the assembly, prayer starts from God. Prayer doesn't start from you. I guess I better get to prayer. I have to begin praying. God never stops communicating to us. This flow is constant into our lives. The Holy Spirit lives here. This is his house. He dwells here. He's never stopped interceding. For you to start praying is to get into what he's already begun. This morning we started worship service. I want to tell you it started last night in the middle of the night. Holy Spirit was working on you way before you woke up and said, I guess I'll pray. It starts here. The anointing starts here. The anointing of the high priest starts from heaven. Heaven is trying to invade your psyche, invade your mind, invade your soul, transform your thinking so that anger will leave and peace will come, so that fellowship will help you. Joy will come forth. It's good. It's pleasant. He's got it pouring in us. It's the matter of when you want to take a shower. It's pouring. And so this anointing starts with God. This unity that we're looking for starts with God. Heaven's already unified. Anybody know that? Nobody's got a problem in heaven. No one's upset. The only one that ever was was kicked out. 
It's perfect in unity. God's will wants to flow and create that unity here. We're a representation of heaven. And he says, it is like the anointing of the high priest, the mediation of heaven, the Holy Spirit. Remember what Peter said on the day of Pentecost, quoting Joel? This is that which the prophet Joel spoke about. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and this spirit shall be poured out on all flesh. What did he mean by all flesh? He didn't mean every single person. He meant all nations, all people groups. It's no longer reserved for Israel. It is now unto all nations, all flesh, people. All right? And that's those who will believe, those who will receive Christ, this anointing will be poured out on them. Whether it's an Ethiopian eunuch, whether it's a Samaritan, uh, whether it is Cornelius and the band of Italians, whether it is uh, anybody around the world, anywhere, at any time, if they'll believe, this pouring's coming forth. That's why I can be on the other side of the globe And I can meet someone that's a believer and I have koinonia with them. I have fellowship with them. We can begin to pray and we have perfect unity calling heaven down into a situation. You can't get that anywhere else. You can't get that unity anywhere else. I've been in meetings where half the people couldn't speak any other language but there was one language being spoken and that's spirit language. And everybody had fellowship. I've been in situations where I had to pray for, for uh, th- this one time in China, I had to pray for 20 or 28 students, uh, and our translator got deathly ill, and so I still showed up and had to go there. I couldn't say a word to these people. Well, I could, but they wouldn't understand it. And so I mimicked, because that was the day we were supposed to pray. God had no problem with that. He didn't need our language to understand. So I remember going before them and I go like this. They're like. And we began to pray. And the Holy Spirit began to move. And people were touched. And people were receiving. And there was no, no words. But the level of koinonia and fellowship and hospitality demonstrated. And the unity in that place was thick. That's what Psalm 133 is. Now, listen, he says this, that it is a complete work. It starts at his head and it ran down his garments to the hems of his garments. It's to his feet. It's total. It's complete. This anointing, this unity, this fellowship, God wants to make complete. And he says in Ephesians 4, he's talking about to the complete maturity, to the full stature of Christ. We are being made into the full image of of Jesus Christ and that began on the day of Pentecost and we're getting closer to being the full stature of Jesus it seems like we're so disjointed as the church it seems that we're immature it seems that way but I want to tell you with one move of God he can bring his body into alignment and I believe we're on the verge of that I believe that we're mature enough and ready to move into alignment with people and the move of God And so it's complete head to toe. And so it is singly and also as the whole body. You are covered head to toe. And so God is moving into you completely. And what is the anointing of the high priest? He is a mediator. He mediates. And this is what's so amazing about prayer. Prayer changes your attitudes towards others. 
Jesus said you're to love your enemies and pray for them. Does he mean I'm supposed to emotionally attach myself to them? I don't like them. They're my enemies. How am I supposed to love them? I'm committed to praying for their well-being. There's nothing more loving than that. I, I may not like them, but if I pray for them and something begins to happen in the Spirit when you pray, your attitude shifts to a heavenly perspective. It changes the perspective of you and them to God over the picture. It's an anointing of mediation. In fact, this anointing of frankincense that was poured out upon Aaron has a fragrance. And that fragrance you carry. As God is pouring out on us because of our unity, we assembled here together, you smell good. You smell good to God. Ever give a little baby a bath, put the little powder on you, hug them and hold them? Ooh, they smell good, right? Pull your clothes out of the washer and the dryer. Smells good. Well, we're in the rinse cycle right now. We're just about to get into the drying mode, and, and we're going to smell good when we get out of here in the Spirit. Because there's fellowship. There's koinonia. That's why the kind of things that Paul speaks to the church about backbiting and gossip and this and that, and he says, man, that is so counter to what the Holy Spirit's doing in our midst and bringing fellowship and unity. So when there is something that is counter to that fellowship, it's really wrong and out of sorts because of what God's trying to do in our midst. And so it is like, this unity is like the anointing of Aaron. And so we speak the gospel. We begin to mediate between people and God. And we begin to speak the truth in love. Amen? Amen. To speak the truth in love. We've got to go beyond. We've got to go deep. We've got to mediate into the very koinonia and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit to speak love. A lot of us think speaking the truth in love is telling people how they look. You look terrible. You're doing things wrong. Hey, I'm saying it in love. As you slice and dice them. That may be true, but it's not speaking the truth about them. Speaking the truth into somebody's life is saying, you are called of God. And, and this thing may be counter against God, but I want you to know God's got a call on your life. Begin to speak the truth into somebody. God loves you. God cares for you. God's got a destiny. God's got a plan for you. You might have some wrong thinking on this thing, and you need to align yourself with the Holy Spirit because He loves you. He cares for you. He's going to bring you wisdom and knowledge. That's speaking the truth in love. Amen? Now, he then goes on to another illustration. He says this. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon. And he says, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Where does the dew or the rains come from? Up above, the heavens. The heavens pour out onto the mountains the dew and the mist and the rain. It collects, it pools, and where does it go? It flows downward on the mountains of Hermon to Mount Zion. Again, same illustration. From above flowing down below that's the unity he's talking about it comes from above our unity isn't because we had a vote and i got you all convinced to agree with me our unity is jesus christ 
It starts with Him. We can have some differences in doctrine and understanding, but our unity being unscathed, untouched, because we're looking to Jesus. He is what we're unified over. Amen? I mean, come on, face it. Some of you uh, irritate each other. Just personality-wise. But yet, when it, when it comes down to it, we'll die for each other. I hope we've come to this place. Because in Christ Jesus, we are one. Amen? Amen. That is powerful. The dew on Mount Hermon, it cascades down. It runs down. There is a flowing of God among His people that cascades. The glory flows down. And this is exactly the same image that Ezekiel saw. From the throne of God, the river of Ezekiel. Again, Psalm 133, the flowing down from the throne into the earth. It flows, it cascades, it's as the anointing. It is the anointing of Pentecost. It's the Holy Spirit. And so rivers of living water. Ezekiel saw rivers flowing from the throne of God, starting there flowing. He walked in ankle deep. He then came and saw that it was up to his knees. He went deeper and saw that it was up to his waist. And as he decided to go even deeper, he began to swim and the current took him. And this is the unity. This is the fellowship. This is prayer life among people. As we worship together, we get deeper with each other. We become immersed in God's love. We begin to care for other people. And we float in the river of God together. But we don't have to go that deep. We don't have to exercise a prayer life. We don't have to come together to worship. And with that, your transformation in Christ will be less than it could be. It's your choice. It's our offer. And I conclude with this. And the last line of Psalm 133 is this. For there... Where? For there... Where? The unity. Dwelling in unity. The dwelling together. That place of prayer and worship. The fellowship. That's the place God commands blessing. He commands it. He commands a blessing. How many of you know when God commands something, it gets done? How many of you want to command over your life that I'm going to bless? If you will meet with God, He commands blessing over you. If we as a people will fellowship, if we will come together, every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, there is a command over this congregation. I command a blessing. Every Sunday at 9 or, or what time is it? 11.30, God commands a blessing. I mean, this is automatic. You walk into this thing and you're under the command of a blessing. What is that blessing? What is the command of that blessing? Well, if you watch TV too much, you think it's about 100 bucks, maybe 1000 You'll get some cash back. That's what everybody is equating blessing with on TV, the televangelist. Well, how sad is that? Now, what does he say that the blessing of command is? Life. Chaim. Chaim. How many of you ever heard of Lachaim? To life. It's the Hebrew word, life. Everlasting life. The blessing is, I'm going to pour my life in you. 
Rivers of living water flowing out of you. I'm pouring in you. I'm pouring over you. I'm commanding life. My life from the throne as Ezekiel. My life from heaven as I anointed Aaron. My life that flows down from the mountain of, uh, of Haran onto Zion. It's flowing from me over to you. It is fellowship. If you will pray with me, if you will seek my face, if you will worship me, I am pouring and commanding life into you, life into your brain, life into your soul. It will distinguish out death and it will give you life and joy and peace evermore. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly but we've got to meet with him we've got to look into his eyes we've got to see him and this is why we're here a blessing has been commanded over your life right now a command of life zoe spirit life i command spirit life over you to transform you into the image of christ would you stand with me so that we can have that blessing fulfilled even now